to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens presented by star style productions as an international outreach program of be the star you are charity you'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters meet and chat with cool celebrities exhilarating experts and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know it's time to kick off the fun with our star teens welcome to express yourself Wilderness is a necessity. There must be places for human beings to satisfy their souls. John Muir. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Caitlin Darrow. And today's show is all about wilderness and survival. As part of our disaster relief outreach program, Be The Star You Are showcases authors, artists, actors, musicians, and other creatives who have had their performances canceled by COVID-19. Be sure you are tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. PST for Wednesdays with writers and performers and Express Yourself airing on Sundays at 3 p.m. for Super Smart Sundays, both broadcasting right here on Voice America Network's Empowerment Channel. Thank you, California Humanities and NEH for helping Cynthia Bryan continue to produce quality programming during this time. Today, we have a great hour planned for you. In segment two, we will be interviewing Karen Strock, author of Secret Survivors. But before we speak with Karen, our very own Caitlin Darrow will be getting the show started with the segment about backpacking and camping as a solo female. Take it away, Caitlin. Thank you so much, Siri. As soon as I saw today's theme was all about the wilderness and survival, I just knew that I wanted to share my experiences as a solo female backpacker. And this is also just a very new activity for me, but it's something that I've always wanted to explore. When I was growing up, I was very nature-oriented. I loved being outside, and I certainly still do today. When I moved to California five years ago, I began hiking and camping more often because if you live in California or if you've ever visited, you know that we have some really incredible natural beauty and terrains here. So while my backpacking and camping adventures initially started off as group activities with friends, I quickly realized that I wanted to become self-sufficient When I went camping with my friends, I usually relied on someone else to set up the tent or having another person to split the gear with and therefore carrying less weight on my back. It made backpacking much, much easier when I was doing it in a group. But deep down, I think that I felt like I was just tagging along with my friends in these large groups and it didn't feel like enough for me. I wanted to take real ownership in my skills and in my confidence to survive in the outdoors by myself. I wanted to be the kind of backpacker that was an excellent partner on any outdoor adventure, so not relying on everyone else. And I wanted to lead my friends and family on big adventures and even eventually go solo when I felt compelled to be alone. I am actually right now getting ready to hike the Trans-Catalina Trail, which is on Catalina Island, right off of the coast of California. And I'll be doing that in a few weeks to celebrate my birthday. And I am so, so excited. While the trail is only 38.5 miles, this will definitely be one of my bigger trips, um, but definitely looking forward to it. Backpacking, hiking, camping, whatever the modality is, you have the ability to survive in the wilderness and even thrive out there. However, it is crucial to be prepared. 
When I talk to most people about backpacking, here are some of the fears that typically come up. Um, I'd say the first one is just not having enough time or energy to dedicate. Um, the second one is most likely people who feel like they don't have enough money for the gear that they feel like they need, especially if you're looking online at new gear. It can certainly seem very expensive in the beginning when you're making the initial investment. Um, the third fear that typically comes up is not having enough knowledge about the backcountry and how to survive when you're far away from help. And lastly, um, it goes along with the last one, but not knowing the skills which will help keep you safe. Now, I just want to say that all of these are very real fears. They are 100% valid, and I have experienced the most, if not all of them. But all of these can be overcome. There are plenty of resources, especially online. You can find free first aid classes and videos about wilderness survival. And you can also buy used gear if you're on a budget, which is definitely something that I did. You can always look on Facebook Marketplace or different websites where people will resell their gear. Um, and that definitely made it a lot more affordable for me. So even if you're on a budget, even if you're scared about going into the backcountry, it really is all possible. If you set aside the time to prepare and to learn, you can truly do anything. Furthermore, I just wanted to recommend that you take things very, very slow. You don't need to tackle the Pacific Crest Trail tomorrow, which if you don't know, that's a trail that actually goes from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada, and it takes about four to six months to backpack it. So very, very advanced. <laughs> you definitely don't need to get started with anything as intense as that. You can simply start off with a short hike in your hometown Whatever adventure you choose to go on, my closing advice is to be educated and to be prepared when exploring the outdoors. That was an amazing segment, Caitlin. Especially during these current circumstances, I have been spending a lot of time in nature. Um, just recently, I've been to Mount Diablo with my family, but mm. after your segment, you're inspiring me to adventure alone someday. So now it's on my bucket list. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. I think with COVID-19, a lot of people have been forced to maybe shift their uh, favorite activities. And now going out in nature, going out to hike has become quite popular because of the social distancing um, nature of it. So I think that that's really fantastic that people have rediscovered their love for the outdoors during this time. And I think that that's great too, just going out with your family, going out with friends, especially when you're a bit younger. Um, it can be scary to think about going out into the wilderness alone. Um, and certainly if you haven't taken like survival classes or things like that, I would never um, recommend someone just go out. Um, you know, that can be really dangerous. But with proper preparation, it's it can be really um, a great experience and uh, really help you grow, I think, as well as a person. For sure. Um, so I have a few questions to ask you. The first one is, how did you learn wilderness skills? Yeah, that's a great question. I was actually a Girl Scout when I was growing up. So I feel like it was instilled from a pretty young age. I feel very lucky that the troop I was a part of, um, we did go camping. And I remember being like eight, nine years old and learning um, those very basic first aid skills and um, you know, recognizing different plants that are out in the wild and which can be dangerous and which can be beneficial to you when you're out there. And uh, learning all those skills at a young age through Girl Scouts was very helpful and I think set the foundation. But really, I feel like most of my skills were acquired in the past maybe three, uh, four years. And most of it was just self-taught by watching YouTube videos and reading books. Um, I also got very involved with my local REI. So REI is a store that sells camping gear, but they also have a community at their stores. You can go in and speak with the workers and they hold classes there. And sometimes they'll even organize like REI camping trips and things of that sort where you can go um, camp and backpack with experienced folks. So I started to attend some of their free classes and they, yeah, just taught very basic things, how to use a camping stove and um, just trying to be more intuitive with your maps and directions because I'm, I'm not very, without a compass, I have no idea where I'm going. So 
I feel like their classes really helped me as well. And um, no matter where you are in the world, I hope that you'd be able to find something like that near you. And if you're not, definitely the internet is an incredible resource. And even just Googling, you know, first aid videos and, and courses online, you can typically find something. Yeah, definitely. My sister is actually a Girl Scout, so I'm ah. sure she can relate to your experience. Um, in addition, I feel these skills are also acquired by experience. Um, as a child, I also went on many trips to Yellowstone, Yosemite. So definitely, I feel it comes by experience and um, just going on many trips and you kind of just get the knack for traveling. So <laughs> yeah. another question, Caitlin, were there any books or movies that inspired you? Yeah, actually, I feel like one book in particular really set the foundation for me as I began my solo backpacking journeys, and that was Wild by Cheryl Strayed, um, which actually was turned into a movie a few years ago, and I believe it was Reese Witherspoon who played Cheryl Strayed in the movie. But uh, the book Wild is about Cheryl Strayed's um, experience on the Pacific Crest Trail, as I mentioned that Earlier um, in my segment, that is a trail that goes from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada. It takes several months um, to backpack. And yeah, I think just reading her experience and especially she didn't come from a very, um, you know, a very backpacker type of background. She wasn't like doing that since she was a kid. She just kind of went on the trail and did it. <laughs> and I really admired that because um, you know, she didn't let the fear stop her. And yeah, it's a really incredible book. And I think I also really admired her because as a solo female to go out there, um, for anyone, it's very dangerous. But I think especially as a woman, you have to be sure to protect yourself. And yeah, I just really admired her journey and her fearlessness <laughs> to, to go hike um, this incredible distance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I haven't watched that movie in particular, but it seems really intriguing. So my last question, Caitlin, what has been your most favorite location in California to hike? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, here, uh, I live in Los Angeles. So um, here in Southern California, there are some really great easy trails, you know, ones that I was doing um, when I first moved here, very easy around Griffith Park and around Malibu. And I still really love those trails um, because, uh, you know, you don't have to bring any gear necessarily with you. Um, but for me, I think one of the hikes or backpacking experiences that really stuck with me was um, backpacking up to Mount Wilson. And yeah, that's here in Southern California. And uh, just a really, really incredible experience. It was great, too, because the trail itself was actually pretty populated. Um, for some people, I think maybe they would look at that as a negative. But I felt very secure knowing that there were people around and um, I wasn't totally alone. And that was one of my like, first trips. So I definitely took comfort in the fact that there was still human interaction around and I wasn't completely isolated. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've done some parts of the Pacific Crest Trail, but nothing more than just a night or two. I'm not sure if I could commit to doing the entire trail um, consecutively, although that's certainly a dream. And also my family lives in New Jersey and that's where I was born and raised. So I love going um, back to the East Coast and discovering trails over there. Um, so I have done little parts of the Appalachian Trail, which is another really long distance trail over there on the East Coast, but I have not done it um, in its completion, <laughs> but certainly a goal of mine. Um, are there any um, hiking spots or camping spots in particular that have um, really impacted you, Siri? Um, I think my ultimate favorite was Yellowstone, just partially because they had a crystal store there and I'm really fond of crystals. And it was just a really nice experience um, going over there. Um, and just recently I've been to Mount Diablo, like I said, so I think that's close to home um, and it's a gr great place to go with your family. It's not too long of a trail. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing.
Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sharing. Uh, thank you for sharing, Caitlin. You can check out YouTube.com/slash Be the Star You Are for our fun and informative videos on living, laughing, and learning. You can visit us at btsya.org and check out past editions of our show at expressyourselfteenradio.com. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Caitlin Darrow. Keep listening to our conversation about the power of survival as we interview writer Karen Strzok here on Express Yourself after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thanks for staying with us here at Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Siri Panindra, and we're here today with Karen Strzok, who believes that creativity has no boundaries and that it is only desire and determination that separate those who succeed from those who don't. She's equally at home with a paintbrush and canvas, a needle and thread, a hammer and nails, or a pen and paper, and is as eclectic in her writing as she is in her other interests. While best known for her defining sociological study, Married Women Who Love Women, she's also the author of an autobiographical how-to book, which is called A Writer's Journey, What to Know Before, During, and After Writing a Book. She's also written In the Shadow of the Wonder Wheel, Tangled Ribbons, Grandpa and Me and the Park in the City, Potatoes with Appeal, 105 Mouth-Watering Recipes, so a very great diverse collection here, and her newest book is called Secret Survivors. Welcome to Express Yourself. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so um, my first question for you, Karen, is what is the storyline in Secret Survivors? Well, I was living in Buffalo when we had one of the bad blizzards. And it came to me, I saw the school bus bringing the children home, and I lived in the cul-de-sac, and I said, what would happen if none of the adults were home when the kids came home? And that was the beginning of the story. Naturally, I couldn't set it in Buffalo because it would be too easy to reach anybody there. So it was set in Colorado. And it's a New York City child moves to the mountains of Colorado, and during a blizzard, she's stuck there. 13-year-old with a 14-year-old boy she absolutely despises and five small children. And it's up to them to survive during this horrendous blizzard. They're left without electricity. Their food is dwindling. One of the children gets sick. Another one disappears and on and on. And it's the kind of story, actually, people who bought it for their children and their grandchildren were telling me, this is not for middle graders. This is for everybody. And once they picked it up, they couldn't put it down. So I'm, I'm, it's an exciting story. I wrote it basically to empower young people, and especially in this time with the coronavirus. It demonstrates to young, young readers that even in the worst situations, even the worst situations can be conquered through resourcefulness and through courage. I think it offers a wonderful message to young people that they have more courage, strength, and capacity than they ever imagined. And kids today who are living through this different reality, 
they can relate to the children their own age who are able to step up to the plate to not only care for themselves, but to save the little children in their charge. Wow. Thank you so, so much for sharing. It sounds like an absolutely incredible story. And not only that, but all of the lessons that people of all ages can take from it. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you choose your characters? Because even just hearing and listening to, um, you know, what happens to them, it sounds like a very Mm -hmm. intense story. And in particular, um, Laurie and Russell are both so mature for their ages. So did you base them on kids that you know? Yes, I did. Lori is a, a, an average, typical 13-year-old, and Russell is a, a brainiac. He speaks like a dictionary, and that's one of the reasons she can't stand him or doesn't like him. But she, learned, she begins to realize that um, he knows what he's talking about. And once she gives up with this, you know, you can't boss me around, and once they learn to work together, they come up with a plan to be rescued. And the little ones in the book, um, there's a, a two-year-old who hears the motor, and he says, Momo, Momo. And that's based on a child that I knew years ago who's now, he's now an adult. But every time he heard a lawnmower, he'd get very excited and yell, Momo, Momo. And these children have fallen asleep. The fire has gone out, and the helicopter looking for survivors is going over their house, and he reports there's no sign of survivors. There's no smoke coming from a chimney. And it's the little boy screaming, Momo, Momo, that wakes the children. And when they realize what he's saying, they run upstairs, and the house is half covered in the snow, and they see a, a helicopter off in the distance leaving. And they have a radio with very limited battery on there. So they only turn it on once in a while for to hear the the news, and they hear no sign of life on Periwinkle Court, and they have to think of a way, think of something they can do so if the helicopter comes back, they'll know there are people alive in the house. And this oh, is wow. like one of the things that happens. Another exciting part of it is there's a tree that's cracking in the big in the backyard, a tremendous tree. And it falls through the window in the kitchen, and it whips out what little heat they have from this Franklin stove that they've had burning, and it spreads sparks all over. And the children have to clean that up and board up the window so that they're able to relight the fire. And meanwhile, the little ones are screaming, and they're terrified, and one of them is running a high fever. And the the one boy, who has been a brat from the beginning, they need his help. And he steps up to the plate, he helps them, and then he slides on the glass from the broken window and has a big gash in his leg that they have to deal with. And it's it's one adventure after another. Now, I wouldn't call them, I don't know if I would call them adventures, um, one disaster after another that the children face. Oh, wow. I, I really like the plot. seems really interesting. And I also like how you incorporated a personal touch by adding your life's experiences into a book. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. Karen, how long did it take you to visualize this book and write write it? (laughs) The visualization was many years ago when I first started writing. And each time I got into the book, something else came up, another book that needed to be written first. And years ago, I had my first manuscript. And I'll never forget, I was reading to my own nieces and nephews, and there were seven little ones around, and I I forced them. I said, you must listen to the first chapter, and then you don't have to hear any more. So when I read the first chapter to them, they said, tell me more, tell me more. And I said, no, I said, I'm only reading one chapter. (laughs) And after a while, we realized that all the children were missing. I had been reading to them out in the backyard. They had all gone into the house, taken the manuscript, and they were reading it aloud to each other. So I knew this was a book that needed to be written. But the response has been just so phenomenal. One woman said, and she bought this for her children, and she said she couldn't give it to them until she read the whole thing. She said she felt as though she was trapped in the cabin with the children, and she kept wondering what she would do in their place to survive. Someone else said 
it it was so realistic that she got so cold that she had to make herself hot chocolate to continue with the book, and she was reading it during a heat wave. <laughs> so wow. it's uh, yeah, it's a powerful little book. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I, I love, too, how your response was that you've had this idea for a while, but you just simply had other books to write. And I thought it was amazing when we were introducing you and you've, it seems like you've written such a diverse range of books. And so I wanted to ask, why do you write um, books in such a different genres? And, um, I think that sometimes writers tend to pigeonhole themselves like, Oh, I can only, only write this. I can only write that. So I really admire the fact that you, you've explored all these different genres. Well, I think it came from the fact that somebody told me I couldn't. Years ago when I was in college, I had a secret dream of being a writer. And all the papers, of our first English papers came back, and everybody got A's and B's, and I got a C. And after class, I asked the professor what I could do to improve my writing. And he said, honey, some people are writers and some people aren't, and you're not a writer. I believed him, and I didn't pick up a pen for more than 15 years. Long story short, my first book was Married Women Who Love Women, and that was sold at a bidding war to a major publishing house. And the third edition just came out during the virus, during the coronavirus in uh, June. So um, that was like, yes, I can do what I want to do. And any time I, I give a talk, I tell people, you know, it may take people, some people longer. It may be easier for some or more difficult for the others. But if you stay in that seat eventually you'll do what you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. And I just, I love all these different things. I wrote a mystery called In the Shadow of the Wonder Wheel, and that came out several years ago. And people have been after me. They want to hear more about these characters. They fell in love with the characters. And so I've written a sequel in the neighborhood of the cyclone, which is not quite out yet. I'm just finishing the manuscript. And that was a boy in my first grade, my first grade class. They called him the judge. And every time somebody had a problem, they'd go up to him, and he'd solve the problem. And I always remembered him, like, what was it about him that made him so powerful? And yet he was kind and he was well-liked. So in my story, In the Shadow of the Wonder Wheel, I have a street-wise kid, and I call, his name is Moses, and I call him the judge. And he came from somebody I knew from the first grade when I was in the first grade. Um, My other books, The Married Women Who Love Women, I was married for more than 25 years, and I was sitting across the table from my best friend, and I looked at her, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm in love with this woman. And I thought, is it me? Is it her? And I went on a quest to find out, and there was no reading material. The first edition came out in the 1990s, and so it's a benchmark. It's a ground, groundbreaking book. And then I was called last year and asked to please do a third edition because so much has changed with gender and the way we think of, of uh, sexuality and the sexual fluidity and the transgender issue so much so that the third edition just came out. My cookbook has a really cute story. This is Potatoes with a Peel. I was driving down a country road, and I passed a farm stand, and they said, um, 50 pounds of potatoes, $3, and not one to resist a bargain. I stopped for a bag, and he said, I'm closing for a week. I'll give you three bags, and I wound up bringing home 150 pounds of potatoes, and I had my children giving them out all over the neighborhood until the neighbors were saying, enough already, enough, and so people started giving me their potato recipes. And I started becoming interested in the history of the potato, and that's how that book came out. My book on writing came out because I was doing a workshop. And people came to my workshop, and then they came the following season and the following, and I said, why do you keep coming back to my workshop when there are so many others being offered? This was at a writer's conference. And they said, because you always have more information. And I realized that needed to be a book. And it's a book on writing, what to know before, during, and after writing book. And it's a book I wish I had when I started writing. It covers all the mistakes I made so other people don't have to make them, things like that. So each book that I start writing, I fall in love with it, and I have to stay with it. 
but Karen, first of all, is, is a very special book. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, I just wanted to add that I absolutely admire your perseverance, um, especially if someone tells you that you're incapable of doing something and you proved yourself and you published seven fantastic books. That's that's mm-hmm. absolutely an amazing achievement that many kids and adults should should understand that what someone says doesn't really define your capabilities. Absolutely. So you've written so seven right. books. Yes, yes. So you've written seven books, and I'm wondering, what, which one was your favorite out of all of them? <laughs> That's like asking a mother which of her children is the favorite. <laughs> when I started my first book, someone came up to me when I was doing a workshop, and she said, I have a fabulous idea for a book, but I don't want it to be my first book because I want it to be when I'm a really good writer. But whatever book you're writing becomes the book. If it's like your child, you love it, you nurture it, you you develop it, you see it grow. So I have to say they're all my favorite books. I just... uh... Oh, I have another book called Grandpa and Me in the Park in the City. That's the only book that I actually illustrated as well as wrote. It's a rhyming picture book for children. And I had just moved back to the city. And I was up very early one morning walking, and I passed a playground, and I saw people doing Tai Chi. And I thought, hmm, children think the park is for them, but look at all these older people in the park. Mm-hmm. And so the book started to, to come about, and uh, my grand, uh, my father always took my children to the park. And I thought of a little boy with his grandfather. And the little boy says to the grandfather, I'm too old to go to the park. I don't like it anymore. I'm too big for the swings, and I'm too big for the slide. And the grandfather says to him, we'll get up early in the morning, and I'll take you, and you'll see. You you know, you're never too old to go to the park. And he takes him, and the little boy sees people walking around exercising and people doing Tai Chi and doing all kinds of things. And he says, I can do that. And he gets up to do it, and he finds it's more difficult than he thinks. And so he sits in the corner and he sulks and he he doesn't want to do it and be embarrassed. And he watches and he watches and he watches a man trying to chin, you know, to chin up on the bars. And eventually the man does. And he watches somebody limping. And eventually her walking gets better and gets better. And all of a sudden it dawns on him, if he practices, he could get better too and then he can do it. And he goes home with his grandpa, and he practices and practices, and when he's ready, he joins the line, and he does a Tai Chi with the other people. And he does it well. And the book ends, my gramps right again, he's so very smart, you're never too old to have fun in the park. So that's another favorite of mine. Oh, wow. And I just, uh, you know, people told me if I stay with one genre, I'll have a much wider audience. But what I'm finding is people who read one of my books will read the other books because they like the way I write, I write, not necessarily for the genre itself. Mm. So I, Yeah, that's mm. very true. And I feel like we all have um, people in our lives that we can share like different genres with. And even with this um, recent book that you wrote, um, Secret Survivors, even if it's perhaps more geared towards the younger audience, as we said in, in the beginning, it sounds like, um, really, anyone could read it and anyone could gain from yes. it. So yes. I, I think that that's really a testament to like your, your writing abilities as well. Um, and going off of that, I, I wanted to ask, what suggestions do you have for people who want to be a writer? Um, I think hearing that story about your college professor is really astounding, and especially to mm-hmm. see how you were able to overcome that because it is really easy, I think, to get discouraged and we're all our own worst critic. And then I think to hear an external right. force saying that to you, it's who I'm, I'm sure that that was tough. And I think it's fantastic that you overcame that. Thank you. Well, one of the things I say in the writer's journey is nobody sees the piles of paper, the things I've thrown away, the starts and the restarts. They only see the finished piece. Nobody knows how long it took, how much I sweated over to get one sentence or one paragraph. So if you have ideas, if you if you want to write a book, think of it as short stories. Each chapter is a story unto itself, and it's not as overwhelming as visualizing 400 pieces of paper sitting on your desk. What I also suggest is 
carry a notebook wherever you go. I have one near my bed. I have one in the bathroom. I have one in the kitchen, in my car. And any time an idea comes to me, I jot it down on a piece of paper. And I have a whole folder of ideas. And when I'm writing a book, I'll sometimes go through them and I'll go, oh, yes, Moses, the boy from my first grade class. You know, and that is going to go into a book. And so a book doesn't come about overnight. A book is a long journey. A book is hard to do. And what I tell people is make a list of everyone you know, two lists. Those people who are negative go on one list and the positive people on the other list. And don't discuss your writing or what you're thinking of writing with any of the negative people because they'll all turn you off. And don't discuss it even with the positive people until you have something on paper because then you'll see you can do it. Sometimes when you talk it out, the energy leaves and it never gets to see a piece of paper. Oh, yeah. That's... has a story in them. And it's when I wrote Married Women Who Love Women, I had done an article for Ms. Magazine, and it, they, I don't know, they changed editors or something. It never got published. And I was at a writer's conference, and they were looking for ideas for stories, uh, for uh, book titles something that would draw people in. And I was too lazy to think of something, so I said, well, what about married women who love women? And all of a sudden, there was a hush in the audience. And I go, oh, my God, what what have I done? Did, did I out myself to these people? And hands started going up, one and then another and another. How does a woman make that discovery? What happens when she finds out? What kind of men are they married to? How do their children deal with it? And I realized that their questions were chapter titles. And so that, and I realized that there was too much information for a short story. It had to be a book. That's how that one came about. Uh, in the shadow of the Wonder Wheel, I was at a also at a workshop, and I was doing a visualization. I, and I visualized somebody walking over a mound on the beach, and when she turned to the side, I could see she was pregnant. And it, nothing came to me till that night. I went to sleep, and all of a sudden, the name Mallory McGill came to me. I know nobody of that name, but it was like, oh, my God, she's involved in a mystery, and it takes place in Coney Island. And so that's how that book came about. So each book, you know, some people will say to me, should I write an outline? Each book has its own life and its own way of, of coming about. Um, Secret Survivors started out with this blizzard. And the children were stuck there. And the house, there was no heat in the house. And Lori knew her house down the road had a Franklin stove. That's a cast iron stove that gives heat. And the only way they could keep the children safe is if they could get them to that stove, to that heat. And that came about because I had a Franklin stove and I loved it. That was, you know, I just would sit in front of it because of the warmth and, and just read there. And so... I, I had the children going to that house, and I thought to myself, what happens when this, once they get there? And that was how one disaster after another befell them, but they had to work together to see themselves through it. So yeah, each of my books, you know, has its own life, and I love it. No, I love how you say that. Yeah, that's that's so fascinating. All your books are so meaningful because you draw the plot based on your own experiences and you you take um, mm-hmm. different things and different components of your everyday life and you put it into a book and share it with people. I, I just love that right. idea. What, so, what I was going at, and I forgot to say that, when, when I started the Married Women book, I realized that whatever we think about, other people think about the same thing. Whatever we have been through, whether it's tragic or wonderful or whatever, other people have been there. So whatever you have to say, there will be people who will want to hear it. It may not be the whole world, but there will be an audience. And another thing I tell people is if you keep getting rejection letter after rejection letter, form letters, join a writer's Well, even before that, join a writer's group. Let other people read your story out loud so you can listen to it. Because sometimes what you write sounds different when somebody else reads it. And don't get discouraged. Some of the best writers have had more than 100 rejection letters. I have lists in my book. I, I don't know them 
in my head. I, I haven't memorized them. But the rejections from the most famous writers you wouldn't believe. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. And since we're almost out of time, um, one of our last few questions is, what were your favorite books when you were younger? My children's books were, there was one called Baby Island. And it was about children that the, the boat is sinking. I think it's a um, uh, an ocean liner is sinking. And they're put into a life, into a, um, a lifeboat. And when they pull off the canvas, they see that babies were put into the boat as well. And then for some reason it breaks away from the ship and they wind up on an island. So I, that it was always in the back of my head, children, what would they do if they were on their own? But one of my favorite books was A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And I, I love it because every time I read it, I cry. And it, it's for a book to be so powerful that it makes you cry. Is To me, I, I think that's great. I had one reader um, call me and say that after she read my book, she cried herself. She, she cried through the ending and cried after it was finished because it made her so happy. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, thank you yeah. so, so much for sharing, um, Karen. And also, that's I love A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. That's such a classic. Um, anyone mm-hmm. listening, definitely need to read that book. But thank you again so much for sharing your insight, Karen. Uh, I'm May Kate I Landero. share my website? Oh, oh yes. My, yes. Because my name is, is Karen, but it's C-A-R-R-E-N. Strock, yes. So that's KarenStrock.com. Yes, listeners, you can a, learn more I'm about sorry? Karen. Yes, yes. L- listeners, you can learn more about Karen at KarenStrock.com. That's C-A-R-R-E-N-S-T-R-O-C-K.com. Um, and also, Correct. I'll share your Facebook real quick. That's Karen Wagner Strock. Um, but listeners, mm-hmm. show your love for more segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are 501c3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program at bethestarur.org. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Caitlin Darrow. Keep on listening for more about survival and wilderness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to Express Yourself. This week's show is all about wilderness and survival. We will be reading The Gift of Survival chapter by Cynthia Bryan from the award-winning book, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing, and Learning to Make a Difference. Yeah, so let's get started. A romantic weekend, my sister Patty and her husband, Marlon, were on a long-awaited break, relaxing alone at the family's remote hunting cabin. The first evening, they gazed out at an idyllic meadow, sipping cold drinks and watching the sunset. Far off in the distance, a thin column of smoke rose into the pink clouds. It had been a hot, dry summer. The worst forest fires in 30 years had destroyed more than 4 million acres of northern California forest. But those fires were too remote to concern Patty and Marlin. 
At dawn the next morning, several firefighters stopped by the cabin. The fires had spread into the forest just a few miles away, but the winds were blowing away from the cabin. There was no immediate danger, but everyone in the area was being warned anyway. The firefighters anticipated having everything under control within just a few hours. Hundreds of fire engines, bulldozers, air tankers, helicopters, and water trucks had come to the Mendocino National Forest from all over the country to do battle with the forces of nature. Unfortunately, many of these strike teams were from urban and suburban areas, unaccustomed to forest conditions and unfamiliar with the tangle of pines, oaks, and manzanitas that feed a fire frenzy. By mid-afternoon, the sky was dark and the air was acrid with smoke. The temperature had risen to 105 degrees. A distant roar like a waterfall reached their ears. Patty and Marlin were hurriedly throwing things in their truck to leave when two fire trucks sped up the dirt road and stopped abruptly next to the cabin. We're not going anywhere, Captain T.J. Welch shouted. The wind had shifted. A firestorm was coming their way at more than 70 miles an hour. All exits out of the canyon were blocked. Chief Chris Polak had devised a plan. The 16 civilians trapped in the valley were being gathered in the meadow around the cabin. This acre of lush green grass would be the safety zone, everyone's last hope of survival. 90 firefighters had been spread out along the roads, trails, and hillsides in the fire's path. Their orders were to stay put until the fire was upon them, then to light a backfire and escape to the meadow. The wind-driven flames raced south and east, sucking the oxygen out of the air and scorching everything in their path. The intensity of heat and smoke must have been terrifying. If a single firefighter had panicked and lit the backfire too early before fleeing, lives would have been lost. The sound was deafening as the retreating firefighters and their trucks began arriving at the meadow safety zone. Marlin and several others had sprayed fire-resistant foam on the cabin and nearby area. Now they pumped water from the creek to keep the surrounding ring of trees from exploding in a fury of flames. Ash billowed up, coating everyone's teeth and burning their throats. The civilians were ordered inside the cabin and told to lie on the floor. Patty calmly distributed wet towels to breathe through, though they dried almost instantly. Marlin was still outside pulling fire hoses until they melted from the intense heat. He returned to the cabin to hold Patty close one last time. Patty thought of our father, Al Abruzzini, who had been a volunteer firefighter for 46 years. He had been honored as captain of the Gordon Valley Fire Department just before he died a few years earlier. Daddy, she prayed, please don't let us die like this. A running crown fire came rolling down the hillside toward the cabin, moving faster than any human could run. Trees vaporized. The energy released was a hundred times that of a normal forest fire, with an explosive force nearing the intensity of a small atomic bomb. Everyone prayed. Death seemed seconds away. Then, almost imperceptibly, the roar began to diminish. The smoke thinned slightly and they could see each other. Finally, someone rose and peered out through the heavy storm shutters. The fire had passed. Everyone stayed at the cabin for two more days until rescue workers could clear an escape route. Instead of evacuating with the others, my brother-in-law and sister drove to the top of the canyon where they could use a cell phone to call my mom and my brother Fred for supplies. Mom and Fred, my son Justin, my sister Debbie, her husband Terry, and their two daughters Amber and Lacey hurriedly filled several trucks with supplies food, water, beverages, toilet paper, all the necessities to care for the firefighters over the next 10 days. The fire continued to rage for 14 days in nearby canyons, ultimately burning over 82,000 acres. It became the second worst firestorm in the United States history, but not a single life or home was lost because of the discipline and the courage of these firefighters. They stuck to the main plan exactly and concentrated on survival for all, not just for themselves. 
As a television reporter later said, they had to look the devil in the eye and not blink. Of course, as everyone will admit, a little prayer didn't hurt either. Our family believes that my dad heard Patty's pleas and did his part to save lives. Afterward, our family made a sign saying, thank you, firefighters, God bless you, and signed it, the Abrazzini family. God did indeed bless them at that terrible day. Since then, my sister and her husband hold annual reunions at the safety zone with the firefighters who saved their lives. This extraordinary combat between man and nature was cited in a special national training video for firefighters. The story is being considered for an upcoming movie. Survival can be highly dramatic, worthy of the front pages. It can also be ordinary, something we do daily, almost without taking notice. We should celebrate both. Acknowledge your major victories, but don't forget to salute each small triumph. Each time you remain positive in the face of adversity brings you one step closer to being the star you are. And now for exercise, your survival kit. You're not a hero. Think again. You probably do dozens of heroic things every day. Here's a sample checklist. Give yourself credit for each brave deed you did today. Stayed calm in the face of provocation. Stayed positive and focused amidst confusion. Accepted criticism graciously and used it to better myself without feeling hurt or defensive. Helped someone who cannot possibly help me in return did a boring or tedious task that could have been left undone, stopped myself from saying or doing something I might regret later, separated myself from the pressure of immediate deadlines long enough to consider the big picture and to plan ahead, stopped what I was doing and really listened to someone who needed a listener. The next one is reached out to encourage someone or did an anonymous good deed or did the best I could in a difficult situation. With each heroic deed, you are demonstrating and strengthening your survival skills. To strive, to thrive, strive to stay alive. Yeah, Caitlin, this was a really touching story, and our firefighters are truly everyday heroes that I appreciate from the bottom of my heart. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for today's show, I am Siri Panindra, and thanks for listening to Super Smart Sundays here on Express Yourself. Please support Be The Star You Are and find information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs at bethestaryouare.org. I'm Caitlin Darrow. You've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars to shine between you